Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Editor-in-Chief of ACG's magazine, Middle Market Growth. This episode is part two of my interview with Matt Petrucci of Plant Moran and Brett Holcomb of Prospect Partners. In part one, we talked about the role of private equity firms and their advisors in the lower middle market. This episode picks up where we left off, starting with the topic of culture at a private equity-backed business, and we also discuss the most interesting companies that Matt and Brett have come across, plus the market trends that they're watching. Here's my conversation with Matt and Brett. You know, I'm curious, when you're talking to sellers, what are the types of conversations that you're having about culture? Are they hesitant about selling to private equity out of fear that they'll lose control um, of their, their company culture, of their legacy? Yeah, so, so culture is, is something that we're very passionate about at Play Moran. Um, we've been recognized for our own culture and, and workplace environment. Mm-hmm. In fact, last week, we've learned that for the 21st consecutive year that we've been recognized by Fortune magazine as one of the best places to work for. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you. So it, it's, it's sort of ingrained in what we do and how we interact with everybody. I think understanding the company's industry is important, but understanding that companies in this part of the market might not be doing everything perfectly, whether it's from an accounting or an operations perspective. And going into the transaction, knowing that and showing them that you get that and understand where they are. And again, that's generally why they're looking to sell in the first Mm -hmm. place and bring on a partner like Brett and his team. Uh, Really goes a long way of, of setting them at ease about the transaction, letting them know that, and we even do this on, on some of our preliminary kickoff calls when we're talking with the seller and getting introduced to them, is talking to them about our process and approach and letting them know that we do get where you're at in the industry because this is where we spend the bulk of our time. And again, letting them know that we're not coming in to, to point fingers or play gotcha or anything like mm-hmm. that. You can almost hear them sigh relief that, okay, the, these are people that get my company, right? And so You're not here to judge me. <laughs> right. And, and getting them comfortable, I think, is, is, is critical. And, you know, again, as, as Plant Moran, a, a big part of our client base is these family-owned businesses who are thinking about an exit strategy. They've heard about private equity, but sometimes are, are nervous about it because sometimes they read some things in the news and they think, again, everybody's going to operate that same way. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes we'll just even make introduction, set up a lunch or a dinner with, again, an audit client and, and somebody like Brett um, to just let them get to know one another and talk about how they operate and, and learn from one another. I, one of the things we try to emphasize from the very beginning is that we're investing in a particular company because of the culture, not to change the culture, right? We don't view our job is to come in and try to change a culture. That's just not the way we operate. That's not the type of firm we are. We are really excited about the culture in every organization we invest into. You know, we'll have our management teams come in and, and present to our firm, our partners, prior to making an investment. And that's not so we can ask a lot of questions and grill our team. It's so we can get an understanding of their culture and what matters to them. Mm-hmm. And as importantly, they can understand our culture and how we operate at Prospect. And unless you have both, then you're really gonna struggle. So you know, we spend a lot of time on culture. My guess is there isn't one deal we end up doing where we have not spent a chunk of our first meeting talking about culture. And you know, I, I think those organizations, culture is absolutely paramount. It's the largest asset 
almost every deal we do has are their employees and the culture they've got within that organization that they've built up over decades. And I, and I would guess that their biggest fear about doing a deal with private equity is how will the culture change over time? And so in addition to having our teams come see us and spend time with us in understanding our culture, we also encourage our teams to reach out to anybody we've ever worked with. Whether the deal's gone well, whether the deal's gone poorly, you should be reference checking every single private equity firm you're thinking about working with and you should reference check them earlier. And again, that's that's really how you're gonna understand. It's easy for us to sit in a room and talk about culture, but when somebody talks about, all right, in 2009, when the economy was crumbling and your end markets dropped 90% and your profitability went to zero, what sort of culture did Prospect bring into that boardroom? How did they treat the employees? How did they work with management over that time period there? You know, we went into that time period with 23 companies. We came out with 23 companies. We had a lot of hard conversations along the way, but every single situation, we were thinking, all right, what's best for the long-term interest of this company? What's best for the culture here? And in a lot of situations, we actually made our best hires and some of our best add-on acquisitions during that time because we continued to invest into the culture and into those companies throughout the downturn. So again, that is easy to say in a conference room, but you want to make sure you understand it in practice and and talking to folks we've worked with is a big piece of that. So it's absolutely a key point. It's something folks should spend a lot of time on. Folks should understand how private equity firms interact and work. Um, And also get an understanding of that with how our advisors work, right? How Matt and his teams work is a good understanding of how we work. Right, We're going to hire people that we think reflect well on us, reflect our culture, our values. That's why you know we've aligned with folks like Matt and the folks at Plant is because we think they understand entrepreneurs, they understand the lower middle market, they understand the cultural values that drive it and the importance of that. And you both represent Midwestern firms. Is that helpful in conversations with business owners? I think it is. Yeah. You know, I, again, I'm sure there's a, there are a lot of great firms all over the country. Mm-hmm. I, I would tell you that you know, being in the Midwest, the cultural alignment with a lot of our owners, we have com- we have companies all over the country, but you know, a lot of folks will tell us, hey, just your Midwest presence, yeah. you know, your Midwest attitudes, that went a long way and differentiated you from other folks that may have represented different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because we'll often get involved in a deal that um, is the result of a deal that fell apart, and sometimes it's it fell apart specifically because of those types of issues. And in some cases, it's because the diligence team went in there and they're again from a different part of the country and they went in there and just burned down the bridges that the private equity group have spent months, four years in some cases building, right? So as we look at, at our role in that, we, we always view ourselves as, a, as, as an extension of our client and, and we're an extension of their team. And so we understand that they've spent a lot of time building up this relationship with the seller that again, we have to go in and you know we've got a job to do and, and there's, it's a, it can be a high stress time, but if you go into it with the right mentality and, and you can still get in there and, and make it a effective and efficient process without upsetting everybody. Again, going back to what we were talking about, of understanding what the market looks like and that these companies won't be doing everything perfectly and there's going to be issues 
and we're just coming in to gain an understanding, not, again, the point finger. So a seller has evaluated prospect partners, the deal has closed. What happens next in terms of how you work with the company to make sure their culture doesn't change? What what does that look like? But, you know, a, a lot of it starts during the diligence process. And, you know, a lot of times we'll get involved in whether it's the owners, whether it's their advisors, but, you know, they will have laid out where their profitability is or where their earnings are. And they will have added back a whole bunch of numbers to try to make that look like a bigger number. So they will say, hey, my EBITDA is this, and I've added back bonuses for employees, and I've added back the 401k match, and I've added back health insurance. And and for us, and, and where I think you begin establishing credibility is at the very outset saying, folks, we're not doing that. We don't believe that we're suddenly going to be taking away bonuses or 401k match or or changing elements. So let's make sure that during diligence, we understand how we are viewing this, which is you have a business that's running really well today. We're interested in this business because you have great employees that are motivated and excited about pushing the company forward. So to suddenly think that we're gonna come in and get rid of a bonus program or stop a 401k match, it's not who we are, it's not how we operate. So you establish that credibility at the outset and it while it may bring their earnings down or you know they may say well gee my advisor said that i should be doing that it's just not reality the reality is that we're investing in a business because of this culture and so suddenly having us be the bad guys to strip x y or z out isn't how we want to operate and not what we would do so we kind of set that tone at the outset of the importance around culture in these various areas and then at the board level you're really driving the emphasis of culture on a regular basis. You know, we have a company Matt and I worked on together called QMI Security Solutions up in Itasca. Incredible culture. Founder CEO has built a really nice business and emphasized culture from day one. And for us, you know, and, and that really translates into a lot of different areas. You know, it translates into, you know, what goes on at the company on a day in and day out basis and, how, you know, the meaning that the company finds in the work that they do. They do rolling security shutters. So a Walgreens or a Rite Aid is closed or a Verizon store is closed and they will lock up the store with their security oh, okay. shutters. They'll have security cases hmm. in the back and a whole host of other products. Uh, but it also extends to things like holiday parties. You know, we go to the holiday party and give a few remarks at that particular holiday party. They do a breakfast with Santa. And we think it's important. I take my kids to breakfast with Santa. They get to you know interact with everybody else. They have a great time. They look forward to it every year. But it's valuing. It's showing the time and effort to be there. And it's also talking to the team and saying, listen, if this is what you believe as a team is important to drive culture, we're on board because this is your business. You know, We are an important piece of that business. But we also need to understand and make sure that the employees are continue to be happy and motivated and driving that forward. So you spend time at board meetings, you spend time through showing up in your actions, and we're also spending a lot of time from a dollar perspective, profit sharing and some of the matches and employee healthcare costs and stuff we talk about continue mm-hmm. to be important levers to you know to be focused on and, and to continue pushing forward there. So both through actions as well as kind of time commitment prioritization. And I imagine, especially in today's tight labor market, when you're looking for any edge in order to attract talented people, having those types of benefits is even more important. It is, and the, the benefits are important from an edge perspective, but it goes it goes beyond an edge. We truly believe that that operates in one big closed loop, which is if you have happy employees, you're gonna have a more productive workforce, it's gonna drive better retention, it's gonna drive profitability and revenue. I mean, it all operates in kind of one closed loop. We're not simply looking, hey, that little edge here or there, you know, we think it's kind of a full 
continuum, a full circle sure. there that's important. Even part of our due diligence, even though we're, we're coming in and looking at numbers, it's still trying to get a read on the culture and looking at some of the things that Brett mentioned around where are they spending money on holiday parties, other employee events, and even looking at the incentives to, to see how they're calculated to make sure that he and his team are aware of those things. Sometimes they, they are spending a lot of money on employee events and maybe they won't continue at that level, but at least they have that knowledge to figure out what they want to do post-closing. And, and other things that we do, it's even when we're doing a plant tour. So again, we're, we're there to look at the books and records, but often we're getting a, a tour of the facility if it's a manufacturing facility, for example. And I'll take note if, if it's the plant manager or maybe the president or the CFO walking us around, like, does he know the machine operator's names and, and how do they interact during the tour? And do we get a sense of if there's any sort of cultural issues as we're doing that? I, I think that's important. And then, again, we're doing a lot of that stuff during diligence. But in addition to that, even at Plant Moran, we do have a team that's focused on talent and organizational development where they're helping companies really get a read on what their culture looks like today because even a company with a good culture might not always know and understand how they got that culture and what really drove that. Or maybe it's it's the second or third generation owner. It's really his grandfather that started that culture and that culture is just sort of continued on, but they don't really know and understand what's driving that. Looking at the company's strategy and identifying, identifying what behaviors are necessary in order to reach that strategy, performing talent audits to look at you know, the, the, the pool of talent that's available today at the company, understanding if there's gaps in that talent pool in order to meet the improvement that they're looking for, and then also just looking at the the internal candidates to see if there's anybody that can step into some of the more critical roles on a go-forward basis. Mm-hmm. And really just helping with uh, overall cultural transformation to one that inspires uh, behavioral changes and drives strategic value. And one of the things that I really like about my job as editor of Middle Market Growth is running across all these interesting companies where I just, I never thought of like, Oh yeah, of course someone right. makes that. You can make money doing that. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or running across something where I'm like, oh wow, I had no idea private equity was involved here. Right. And once you start looking, it's kind of everywhere. You know, I wanted to ask you both if you can give an example of an investment that when you came across it, it just struck you as being a really exciting company or as having a, a particularly interesting business model. Sure, and I and I and I'll be the first to admit I'm totally biased. I think every deal <laughs> sure. we do has a really cool business model and is really interesting. So you know, let me let me say that full disclosure. Full, yeah. full disclosure. Right. I love every deal we've done. And, uh, he doesn't have a really favorite need. child. Yeah, no 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 favorites here. Uh, you know, that being said, one that I think is particularly interesting right now is a company we own called Wedgwood Hospitality Group. Uh, Wedgwood Hospitality Group is a all inclusive wedding provider headquartered out in Temecula. California. So you know, they were started, you know, 30 some years ago by an entrepreneur who decided to get into the event management business, having been in the hospitality, the hotel management world. And then over time realized that the wedding side of the world had a lot of opportunity and a lot of unique challenges, but also uh, a lot of interesting dynamics. So, you know, we're on that business from one location. We got involved. It was about 18 locations. We're now in 37 different locations. Uh, in California, Colorado, Nevada, Arizona, Illinois, and New Hampshire. 
and looking to continue growth out there. So if you are someone that's getting married, you're looking for a easy, all-inclusive package, uh, Wedgwood would be the perfect place for you to go. We've, we'll do about 5,000 or so weddings this year. So anytime you think your your job is hard, imagine coordinating oh, yeah. uh, with 5,000 brides and, uh, and future mother-in-laws and the like out there, uh, but really have driven a, an interesting model where they will partner with uh, different landlords they will run all the food and beverage. They will run any sort of event, but really geared on the wedding side and, and what brides and grooms are really looking forward and looking for and driving driving that business forward. So it, it's a really interesting business and a really interesting sector out mm. there that uh, that will be a great a great not only a great outcome for us but also be great to partner with our team in driving that one forward. And that's one of those things that I imagine a lot of DIY weddings, as you're planning them, you're thinking like, couldn't this yeah. be easier? Why isn't there someone who does this? It's yeah. much wood. Yeah, no, our, our, our team there loves to remind us in, in one of our first meetings, we said, why don't more folks do this? And the, and the answer is, and the answer is, it's a lot of hard work. Yeah, right. trying, to, trying to plan one wedding is hard work. Trying to plan five thousand yeah. weddings in a given year is even harder. Uh, but again, this is this is a this is a great prospect story. Where over time, you know, we have added a lot of folks along the way. We've added a VP of marketing. We've added a COO. We've added, uh, you know, a CFO. So we've invested a lot into this business. Uh, our team is an incredibly strong team, very sharp group of individuals that have a lot of great ideas. Mm -hmm. And we think we've just begun to scratch the tip of the iceberg on where this can go. So it's a, it's a, it's a fun one. It's a great team. And it is one of those companies that you look at and say, why didn't I think of yeah, that? Right. And I didn't know you could do that. Mm -hmm. All right, Matt, what's your pick? Yeah. And, and because he's in the room, I'll <laughs> that we worked on together. But uh, so Minuteman Security Technologies was a deal we worked on recently together. And I know it had some great attributes that, that they love, like recurring monthly revenue around sort of traditional security uh, services, which I'll say is in this story is a little on the boring side, but they had a couple of other just services that you would almost think you would see in like a, a near future sci-fi film. Like one of them was uh, mass transit security systems huh. where they have um, like 360, 360 degree video that police and other first responders can sort of tap into in an emergency situation, which I thought was incredibly yeah. cool. Or they had a technology that was a license plate automatic. So if you're in a police car, it could automatically read the license plate and then identify that vehicle. Oh, and cool. So I mean, funny story, like my wife and I actually last night were at a stoplight and a police officer pulled in behind us and my wife jokingly said, do you think he's running our plates? I'm like, well. He's already run like, them. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and I talked to her about this technology. Normally she's very bored when I talk about work, but with that one, she's like, oh wow, that's really cool. I had no idea that existed. So going back to what you said earlier, like that's one of the things that I love about the work that we do is just hearing these stories and, and getting a sense of what these companies are doing and especially today in and around technology, you just see some really amazing things that, again, most people just don't think about because it's, it's a lot of it's just behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. But getting some insight into that, it's, it's fascinating. We, we like to say that you know, there's various grades of fun within our job, like any job has out there. You know, maybe towards the lower part of that list is a company that isn't doing as well and you know, you're working through legal documents or whatever the case may be, not, not a whole lot of fun. At the top of the list is getting to sit down with an entrepreneur, go into his or her business, mm -hmm. hear the story about how they have created a business from nothing to where it is today, why they're looking for a partner, how you can help 
be that partner. And then, you know, clearly then doing the partnership and moving forward is fantastic. But just being invited in and getting the chance to hear the story is really neat. Hmm. It makes you realize, you know, we look out here, out Chicago, all the great companies that exist out there, the different ways to make money, the different ways to really contribute to a community, the different ways to kind of thrive in this lower middle market. You know, there are tons of different opportunities out there and it's, it's, a, it's a privilege to be able to invest in this end of the market and work with these teams. Hmm. One that stands out for me um, that we profiled in our July issue was a Minnesota company that makes 3D printed custom urns. So mm-hmm. you can pick what you want your yeah. final yeah. resting place to look like. They use, you know, really innovative new technology. They did Prince's urn, um, came in through one of our Minnesota chapters. They participated in an event there and it came to be that way. But it was one of those like, I yeah. wish I thought. <laughs> right. And yeah, that, that's the frustrating part because it's like, ugh. Why didn't I think of that? Right? <laughs> I could have thought In all that. your spare time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. Well, let's close by talking about the cultural and economic trends that you think are going to have a really significant impact on investment opportunities. So I guess to each of you, you know, what are the top one or two trends that are really standing out to you right now? Knowing that there's probably a million, but to sure. narrow it down. Yeah, I, I think you're right. There's There's so much to talk about here. It's just, it's a very interesting time. And even reflecting back on 2018, since we're early into January or in early into 2019, 2018 was a great year. It certainly closed out with um, record high deal volumes, meaning deal closed as well as total value invested. Um, and I think we're, we're seeing that continue. Buyout multiples um, remain high. I think we've talked a lot about that today where they're, they're certainly double digit, meaning in, in overall middle market, somewhat lower on the lower middle market. But with, again, some of the, the debt to equity multiples continuing to be high, which, again, going back to some of the things we talked about earlier, having to, to be disciplined. But uh, I think, again, with the, the record deal volumes, it shows that there were just a, a, a high level of sellers that wanted to go to market. I think some simply just because it was time for them to go to market, but others who were maybe two or three years ago before the, the deal values got as high as they are, uh, probably weren't ready to sell, but because the valuations have been so high, I think that's been bringing a lot of other sellers to the market to, that generates a lot of these the statistics that we're seeing. But I think with all that being said, a lot of that activity and the valuations have have drove a lot more activity in this lower middle market space mm-hmm. that we're talking about today, um, and, and we're seeing a lot of our clients, private equity clients in particular, um, not abandon going out and buying the large platforms, but certainly employing more of a buy and build strategy, uh, where they think they can go and and buy these lower middle market companies for a little bit less value, and then buy a handful of those or more and then sell off the, the larger company at a, at a greater valuation. Uh, so I think that's even now making this part of the market certainly a lot more competitive than it used to be. And um, probably as Brett would attest to, even driving up some of the valuations now in the, in the mm-hmm. lower middle market. No, it, 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 Matt's absolutely right about that. I, I do think though that folks need to be a little careful out there thinking they can you know dip down from a larger company or a larger fund perspective and operate 
in the lower middle market, you know, we believe there's real value in compounding effect to consistency, remaining consistently focused mm-hmm. in an area, in, in our case, the lower middle market, whether it's the relationships you develop or the like. Um, you know, it, you gotta dig through nooks and crannies and you gotta work really hard with some lower middle market companies. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into building up the systems and processes and the like. So while Matt's right that there is a large trend out there of you know maybe some bigger funds dropping down, maybe doing some buy and build sort of acquisitions, uh, it is also a little bit of a different world and you gotta make sure that you've got the resources, the patience, the time, the effort uh, to really support the lower middle market businesses and, mm-hmm. and you know again, not, not all buyout deals are created equal. Sure. Uh, you know, to dovetail on what Matt's saying, we, you know, one trend we've certainly been noticing that's been out there for a while is around the availability of capital. And it's at all levels of the capital structure, you know, from the senior debt side, we talked a little bit about that earlier, uh, you know, to more of the Unitron one-stop debt, there, you know, there's over in private debt funds right now have over 600 billion in assets. So that's up about three times in the last decade mm-hmm. from where they were. So you've seen a big growth in the non-bank lenders that are out there, uh, all the way down to the equity side where we operate in. There's a lot of capital out there chasing a handful of deals, and uh, you know that is having an impact on valuations and the like. Another area we spend a lot of time in board meetings talking about today is just around labor and labor in general. Mm-hmm. And clearly, we're at full employment today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, by and large, anybody that needs a job has a job. Uh, your best workers are constantly getting poached and picked at. Maybe not poached, but folks are reaching out to them. Uh, and so, the cultural issue you raised earlier continues to be an important one to help you know drive retention, mm-hmm. uh, but also incentive compensation, compensation in general and the like is is very important. So we spend a lot of time at board meetings talking about labor, labor shortages, and making sure that uh, you know we're retaining the folks we want to retain at every portfolio company we have. And you know I think everybody's pointing to a recession coming at some yeah. point in the next year or two, and that will certainly make things interesting. Um, going back to a lot of the things that we've been talking about today, um, and, and even how that might impact um, the current uh, flow of transactions. Again, we're seeing mm-hmm. these higher than, than normal levels. And so, you know, depending on the length and the severity, you know, some buyers might sort of step away and, and taper down some of their activity, wait for things to turn, wait for a clean trailing 12-month period before they make another investment. Um, and then again, going back to the debt to equity, if, you know, if, if some of these firms aren't disciplined in their approach, I mean, it, it's easy to put a lot of debt on a company today when the economy's good, companies yeah. are growing, but as soon as the, the economy starts to tip a little bit and now there's less cash to service that debt, it could be another another story. And, and going back to what we saw uh, at the end of the last recession, you know, the companies that did survive, they survived because they did the right things, right? They had a game plan in place for that recession. They had a management team that, that knew how to weather that storm. And those companies that survived, they were even more valuable coming out than they were when they went in because there were less competition. Mm-hmm. And it proved to uh, groups like Brett's that it is a good management team because they were able to navigate and, and, and weather that storm. Well, we'll have to have you both back on a year from now to yeah. see how these trends play out. Yeah. Would love to. <laughs> Appreciate it, Kate. Matt and Brett, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in the iTunes store where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help listeners find out about us. After you've rated the podcast, head over to our website, 
middlemarketgrowth.org for more stories about successful mid-sized companies and middle market M&A.